Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kulikowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the state of the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technologists in a historically tight market, and much, much more. Our guest today is Katrina Collier, who wears many hats. She's an author, speaker, mentor, and facilitator who specializes in the human side of talent acquisition. Her passion is ensuring that recruiters and companies deliver a great candidate experience. She's also the author of The Robot Proof Recruiter, the second edition of which rolled out at the end of August. It's full of useful info about recruiting the right people and crafting the ideal candidate journey. We're going to talk about the Robot Proof Recruiter and a bunch of other interesting stuff, from why transparency and authenticity matter so much in recruiting, to how recruiters can effectively approach the current crunch for tech talent. Here we go. You're an author, mentor, speaker, facilitator with a focus on ethical and human-focused recruiting, and the author, as we were just talking about, of the Robert of, yeah. the, of the Robot Proof Recruiter. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Um, <laughs> which is it is fascinating to me. I love the title. I love the book because you, a lot of the stuff that I read and the people I talk to and so on, there's been a lot of focus and controversy around you know the automation of recruiting and talent and you know, inserting kind of the human element, despite all the noise, you know, inevitable noise that comes Mm -hmm. around recruiting and things like that. And so I kind of want to dig, I mean, given all the noise and you and I had this conversation by email before this, but kind of why transparency and authenticity matter so much in recruiting, especially given all the aforementioned chaos, like what is it like, why, why should recruiters and so on put in that effort? Like what's, what's behind it? What's, what does it yield? I guess. Yeah. So many bits to that to answer. I mean, if we go back to the beginning, we are people recruiting people and we are changing their lives and we can change it for the good and we can change it for the bad. You know, we put the wrong person or we put someone great, we think, in the wrong job. They can end up homeless really quickly. So there's all that sort of side, the importance of what we do. And if you look at automation and technology, you know, I was trying to get online with you know, on a telephone call to someone earlier. And it was like six different options. And I ended up at the wrong person 40 minutes later, got put through on someone else. And I was fed up and I won't be using their service anymore. And that's me as a consumer. And then there's me as the person who my career, you know, am I really going to put my career in the hands of automation and a robot? I'm just not going to. And this is why there are still cashiers or tellers in the bank. This is why even though there's self-checkout, you can go to a human being for your groceries. You know, it's because people want that. And if they want that for mundane transactions like cash and shopping, they want that for their career. But the recruiters that put all of the technology and the noise in the way, you know, the obstacles, the apply for the job and then recopy your resume into the box and, and, you know, all that stuff that people do and then they hide behind technology, they ghost and blah, blah. They're just not winning. Then They're not winning in this market. Now, I know there's a little bit of concern that there might be a recession on the horizon or perhaps growth is stagnated, but there are still companies out there struggling to get people and the, the recruiters who are not going human first and they're not really trying to make someone feel special, they're losing out because people have choice and they don't have to choose your company or your jobs. 
Do recruiters, so I mean, when I talk to a lot of technologists, like one of the things I hear over and over again is they do get irritated by what you just mentioned. Like you go online and even though you have your resume, you have to fill in all the boxes and then you mm-hmm. have to jump through all these hoops and everything like that. And like the, 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 the thunderhead of criticism that you hear mm-hmm. related to that is almost overwhelming. You go on, I don't know, any form, you go on Reddit, you go on Y Combinator, you talk to people, it's just like everyone. I mean, are re- recruiters actually hearing that though, or companies hearing that, that there needs to be this human element that you need to eliminate this stuff. I mean, why is there sort of this gap? Why is this not getting through? It's funny because when I revisited writing the robot proof recruiter, so the second edition of my book has just come out. My hope was the message had got through, but yet there I was visiting recruiting hell on Reddit and there were the same comments and there were the same frustrations. And, you know, there were posts on LinkedIn with the same frustrations. And I, I'd really hoped in 2020 when so many recruiters and talent acquisition professionals became the job seeker. They experienced being ghosted by their peers. They experienced the ridiculous recruitment processes and, you know, technology obstacles they had to get through. I hope there'd be some empathy and compassion that came into 2021 and 2022. That is so hard to say. And it hasn't happened. And it's heartbreaking. Oh. And I'm like, please, will you all read my book? Please, please, will you pass it on to all your hiring managers? Please. Because it's like I, I sometimes feel like I'm just yelling into the wind because I don't understand why people are making life so difficult for themselves. You know, it should be I have a job. I've had a really great intake strategy session with my hiring manager, so I really understand the job. I, I put an advertisement out or I message someone. They send me their resume and I talk to them. It should be as simple as that. It shouldn't be complicated. Hey, Nick, I've got this job. Your background kind of matches. What do you think? Let's chat, see if we're a fit for each other. Right, get just get to that point all the time. Um, and actually, I wrote a LinkedIn newsletter recently. Also, another problem I feel we have is about perception. So we had a very, really random comparison. We had a really hot day here in the UK, uh, 38 degrees, 100 Fahrenheit, and my Springer Spaniel wanted to go to the toilet. And I took him out for exactly 10 minutes and I was mega careful with him. And the second he went, I turned around to come back in and somebody stopped me and hurled abuse at me. They went out of their way to call me selfish and several other things. And it was like, is that what, it, it reminded me of recruitment. I put a job out, someone applies. We don't really understand their CV. So we just assume they're not right and we reject them. Instead of having a conversation, instead of getting beyond, instead of being curious, empathetic, listening, you know, that using the human skills. Um, And we just need more of that. We need to get back to basics. But why hasn't it shifted? I don't know. They're clearly not reading my book (laughs) or hearing me rant. (laughs) It's just, you would think, I mean, there's such a, there's such sort of a crunch for talent at the moment. I mean, despite, you know, mm-hmm. what you just said in terms of like the potential for an economic recession, at least the numbers mm-hmm. right now are still good in terms of like, you know, the unemployment rate, the job openings, things like that. And a lot of and, companies... And let's not forget some of those companies did get like lots of money and might have overhired True. a little bit. And so, I think well, that's, there's a that's little happening. Bit... Yeah. And I think yeah. there's scaremongering going on instead of actually, if I look at it, really, they're just, um, what's the word? Balancing back out. There's a word for it, it's gone. They're, they're definitely doing it because, I mean, for example, mm-hmm. Robinhood, you know, a lot of these startups like Robinhood and, I mean, even or not just startups, I mean, even Oracle and so on. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, there's, I mean, they're, they're actually stating outright, you know, we overhired or readjusting. So it, kind of, it yeah. falls in that category. Readjusting. But, That's the word. <laughs> but a, a lot of, a lot of 
companies, they need this talent, obviously. Yeah. They're always going to need talent in one way or another. And a lot of them, they might have significant budgets, but they don't have like a, a enterprise size budget. They don't have like the Google or the Apple size budget to pay, you know, mm-hmm. kind of especially top talent to come in. So you would think that sort of the human angle would give companies that don't necessarily have the financial resources and so on the advantage in order to land the talent that you you want yes. to work for this company because you sort of have established this immediate rapport mm-hmm. with the hiring manager or whoever and, and you know you get pulled in and hopefully and things like mm. that and it's just um what can recruiters i mean let's say a recruiter they read your book eh? they get all the mm-hmm. wonderful advice from but let's say kind of in in a in a, in a boiled down sense what can, if you're a recruiter and so on, you really want to engage on this human and authentic level, what can mm-hmm. you do tactically to kind of convince people that this Absolutely. is, yeah, to get that connection there? It's funny you say that because I wrote a, another LinkedIn newsletter article about like you can win against Fang. Um, mind you, someone was calling them Mang earlier, which I thought was quite funny. Yeah, being yeah. It's, the acronyms yeah, get really amusing better. as they change their names. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it can get really rude as well, which was quite funny. That's true. But yeah. moving on. Um, <laughs> But what they were saying, you know, what I was saying in the article was if you do a really good intake strategy session, so that is where the hiring manager sits down with the recruiter and really gets under the skin of the role. Now, if that recruiter is really good and they take some of the wisdom that's in Chapter 5, for example, about, you know, asking questions, seeing where this person's going to be, just, you know, talk to the team, like really delve and really understand the project or the problem that that person's coming in to fix. And then they use that in the conversations. They are going to stand out a mile. And then you can get somebody who perhaps will take 10K less because they understand the mission of the company, the project. It's a problem they want to solve. They like see potential to learn. But if you're not doing those intakes, it's never going to happen. Now, the problem is there are some recruiters out there who are too scared to demand that from the hiring managers. And it's... um you have to get that partnership. And I spend a lot of time working with recruiters to get them to do that. I, I run a, a program called The Collective. It used to be The Mastermind, but it's now called The Collective, which is all about getting that oh confidence, guts, um, audacity to go, no, you're giving me this time. The reason you're giving me this time is I'm going to save you a lot of time. Plus every day this person isn't in this seat that it's costing us money. The project's not getting delivered. So I need that time up front and these are the things that I need and you're going to do this and I'm going to do this and together we're going to fill this role and you create this real partnership. So if you have that and if you have that real understanding of what's going on, you'll have absolutely no problems recruiting against these other companies and also be up front. Like, hey, we're not Meta, we're not Google, I don't have six figures, I've got 90K, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Be honest, get to the point. That's the other thing you'll see most people complaining about is you just tell us what the salary is. Don't make me jump through technology obstacles just to find the salary. Um, There's a lot of games around that. It's ridiculous. Just tell people. It's weird. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to hire Nick because, you know, he's not telling me, you know, he wants to know what the salary is. It's like, well, of course he does. Why would he go backwards? (laughs) You know, he might choose to if it's a really great option. But if you don't tell him, he's he's like, I'm wasting my time. And then I find out it's half my salary. So there's, there's a potential fear among mm. on the part of a lot of candidates that, I mean, and they, they, this whole do-si-do game negotiation that goes on where they're afraid that 
it becomes a particularly delicate conversation and that there's this fear that if you give them the number, they're going to undercut you. And unfortunately, a lot of recruiters and hiring managers, you know, potentially see it as an opportunity mm-hmm. to undercut an otherwise good candidate. And it's just like, it's a weird, it's very mm-hmm. weird. And it's, uh, but mm-hmm. I think at least in the States, a lot of that is changing because there's a lot more salary transparency, but yeah. then you also get this screwed up situation where at least in tech, you look at job postings and like the range that they give is like 90 K to like 250 K where it's meaningless, mm. you know, even though the, so, I mean, this, that whole thing to your point, I mean, it's this very sort of dramatic thing that's going yeah. on. And look, and I get sure it. It's, it's tough for companies that, okay, perhaps got VC funding and they grew really fast and they hired people with salaries all over the place. Right. And I've actually worked at a startup that did that. And then suddenly you're like, Oh, oh we now need to level these out. We're trying to recruit the people we're bringing in are getting even higher salaries all the time. We're going to start losing people. But then there's this fear, oh, but we can't pay them that. Well, then you'll lose them and you'll end up hiring somebody more expensive. And this is this another weird thing that goes on where I'll never understand what goes on between HR and leaders. But it's you need to look at retaining your people. It's more costly than going out to the market. Oh, sorry, it's it's more of a saving. It's more costly to go out to the market and hire again. You've got yeah. these people, level up the salaries, and then you can have transparent salary to your heart's content. Um, and people will Retention's love it. It's a huge issue right now, especially, I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. the great resignation, quote unquote, we'll see how much more gas the great resignation has as a term, but the idea that people are, you know, that they're quitting and going and taking yeah. better offers. Um, all you the see data lots that of people-, people who've done it after a really long period of time. Mm-hmm. I've been in my job six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you're like, wow, you haven't seen that before. So people yeah. have either been headhunted or they've just gone, you know what, I've actually had enough, you know, I got to work at home and now suddenly they want me back in the office, but I've actually realized I like working at home and those sorts of things are going on or just critical reassessment. They lost people in the last few years, you know? Um, so there's the, the power is with the people and all companies, whether they're recruiting tech professionals, which is extremely hard. It's always been my background that whole tech recruitment. So I get it. Whether they're recruiting those or even in other fields, you know, I mean, I go to your local restaurant, they can't hire staff <laughs> to save themselves at the moment, bless them. So it's, it's, the world has changed and it's time for companies to start realizing they don't have the power. <laughs> People the have the power. Extraordinary. Too. I mean, I've been looking at some like broad-based macroeconomic data about people mm-hmm. jumping and how much they're making when they jump and so on. And I mean, it's hard to, you know, and you understand, you know, they sort of get into these spirals where, you know, people are just jumping companies like three times in five years and they're making, you know, in order to raise their salary by 40% over if they stayed. And it's hard for, you know, in terms of retention, if you're a hiring manager or an executive or so on, yeah. You know, this goes back to what you're saying about candidate experience or employee experience and the human angle to it. Like you mm. got to provide them that. I mean, that's probably what will make them stay, especially if you can't compete on like those those money ladders. Yeah. But guess. you can yeah. compete in other ways. You know, what exposure can you give them to something new that perhaps they want to do? Perhaps they want to work in another area of the company. Um, work Drive, which is W-O-R-Q Drive, um, have a brilliant tool for internal mobility, which will really show um, like how people are applying to other areas of the company. And they, they're like, oh, I want to get over and work in marketing. So they'll stay if they get this opportunity to grow. And what they found with the number of people that were applying every week within the company for their own roles was actually extraordinarily high. Um, so that's something to think about as well, is that perhaps people just want to pivot. They don't actually want to leave, leave. They'll, they'd love some more money, sure. But actually, perhaps it's 
oh, I just really, I've always wanted to work over here. That's what makes me sit up and buzz. That's, you know, can I have that chance? And that, but you have to then have hiring leaders who will let go of their team. Sometimes they don't want to, they hang on to them. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah I get that. True. However, think of the big are picture. You seeing, <laughs> are you seeing a lot of, com- are you seeing a lot of companies offering like along those lines? I mean, are they also offering like training opportunities, free education, certificate, paying for certifications, things like that? Is, is, is that also part of this whole schema? Yeah. Absolutely. And they totally should. And particularly to your recruiters, please. For some reason, they get overlooked. Sometimes they don't get funding to buy my book, which is insane. Um, but yeah, but it is develop your people. Like, I mean, it's only a benefit to your company to do that. Imagine the knowledge that you get. It's, that, it's that, weird that, though. Yeah. No, no, sorry. No, no, I do. I, I'll never understand why there's such a reluctance. There is still that fear. If I train my people, they'll go elsewhere. They I was might about not. To say, yeah, there. I mean, and I've heard, I've heard actual managers say it. it. It blows my mind that, like, oh, if you give them too much opportunity, like somehow they're going to use that opportunity to leverage to like their next company or whatever. It's like, well, maybe provide the environment within the company that makes them want to stay, exactly. and then you have, yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's not exactly the, treat them yeah. like grownups and let them learn, let them be curious, let them try and fail, let them. Um, they'll only go and do it elsewhere. So it's. it's the other thing too is a lot of managers that I've talked to are start, especially in areas like cybersecurity, where it takes mm-hmm. a long time to train. It's highly specialized, and there's these massive gaps in terms of being able to fill these open slots. Mm-hmm. It, it, there, there's a lot of emphasis now on upskilling people mm-hmm. who wouldn't necessarily have started out in that role or aren't in that role now yeah. in order to fill that. And that seems, I, it's it's a little bit new at a lot of companies. It's new in the U.S. federal government, which is where a lot of that actually is happening. But it'll be interesting to see if that works out if you know upskilling yeah. somebody who's not traditionally a technologist or whatever will help close some of these talent gaps but there's so much more that they could be doing as well i mean get back to grassroots get back to schools so my sister works for engineering australia and she runs events at the schools to encourage the kids into engineering so there needs to be a lot more of that because particularly for girls you know get them interested get them understanding but also return to workers there's sort of a stigma like, oh, Nick hasn't worked for a year. We better not hire him. Well, why not? He's got the basics. We know he's got some pizzazz about him. He can learn. Like, you know, we all came into this world knowing nothing. So it's look at that. Look at um, perhaps it's neurodiverse applicants. Perhaps it's ex-forces. You know, there would be different people disabled that, you know, get ruled out all the time. You know, does it actually matter if that person's deaf or, or can't see so well? Can we accommodate that? Are there things we can do to help them? You know, we're you so quick to it? rule people out in the recruitment process instead of looking for, well, what would we gain by having somebody that's actually, I loved it. My friend calls it neurospicy rather huh, than neurodiverse, right? Yeah, so what if they are a bit neurospicy? What would we learn? What would we gain from that person? Hmm. Do you, you know, think there is that shift underway? Do you think already because of the talent gaps and things, do you think that's happening or do you think this is something that needs to happen? It, there are definitely examples in my book. Please don't ask me to remember them at this precise moment because I won't. <laughs> um, it is, but of course, for me, always too slowly. I, I get, I would like, because it starts at the frontline recruiters because they're the ones that open the applications. I would like them to be more curious to their own reactions so, you know, if they do open it or, or they just go into an interview and they realize that somebody 
perhaps is disabled or perhaps, you know, has something that could make it a little bit more challenging for the organisation, I want them to question their own reaction. Okay. And be like, gosh. Interesting. Interesting. I just ruled that person out immediately. But maybe actually what if what if we could accommodate that person? I'm not a bias expert and I appreciate it's a really complicated topic, but it's that, you know, I talk about self-awareness. I talk about so many human skills in the first chapter and it's that just be a little bit more curious and a little bit more aware of how you're reacting because it's your job is to bring the people into the company or your clients, obviously, if you're on staffing. Um, so it's be aware of your reaction. Because you could just be ruling out the perfect person just because they're nervous at interview or, you know, they don't yeah. know how to express themselves quite as well as you'd like. Or you ask them to do a neuronormal interview and they're neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the, a, lot, a lot of companies you have these rounds upon rounds upon rounds of like coding tests and problem mm. sets and everything else that you're expected to solve. And, you know, granted, you want people to have like kind of a certain fundamental baseline of skills, but yeah. Um, they don't test for creativity and stuff like that. And a no. lot of you lose good candidates that way sometimes. Yeah. And you also actually in my Fang article, um, I talk about people deselecting themselves out because they got to around 13 and Facebook still didn't know if they wanted to recruit them or whichever one it was, um, you know, and just be like, oh, come on, train your hiring managers better. You do not need to interview somebody that long. There, yeah. You've got a training problem of your leaders they're unsure of the decision they're making um, but the other thing uh, that I will say that we make people do that and then we don't give them feedback and that's oh, just yeah. outrageous mm. yeah you know that feedback could be life-changing besides which fact um, this is from Tripad who did some research and they run um, endghosting.com end-ghosting.com that 84% of people who don't hear back either get down or depressed now, when recruiters yeah. don't get back and they get ghosted, they get a bit pissed off, but they don't get down or depressed. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't be leaving people like that as recruiters or companies. Are so these candidates? That's being, the is it, thing I'd say about the the other problem yeah. with all of these hurdles we expect people to jump through. Are they are they not hearing back because the recruiters or the hiring managers, whoever, they they they're overwhelmed and they think it's somehow easier and simpler just not to give that feedback? I mean, I'm just trying. What's what's the root of that issue? I I think in the US it's much more about litigation. You know, oh, here in okay. the UK yeah. we're a little bit less scared about being sued for breathing, um, so it's a little easier. But there are ways. You know, you you commit to doing it, but there are companies. One of the fangs, for example, has a blanket no feedback policy. Now that's fine if you tell the applicant from the get go, we don't give feedback. So you are going to go through a ridiculously maybe don't say it like that a ridiculously long recruitment process and not hear why you're deselected. Um, but we will close you out. We'll at least let you know that you're not proceeding. But it's not fair because the one thing that people cannot replace is time. The time that you're giving, the listener is giving us now, listening to this podcast, they're not getting it back. It's gone. You know, and it goes really fast. I hasten no to pressure. add it having just hit my 50s. It's like, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it goes fast. So it's like we they're giving us our, their time. We deserve to give them some feedback. It's payment for their time. As James Ellis says, by the way, a great employer branding person, if you've come across him. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great phrase in terms of, so in, in not just the fangs, but also, I mean, this, this, it seems to be more kind of a larger company issue, but when you talk to companies about, you know, they're trying to hire 
different, they're trying to diversify their mm-hmm. sort of employee ranks, more neurodiverse people, more people from mm-hmm. underrepresented groups, and also just, you know, just kind of changing demographics to fit and skill sets to fit kind of what they need to fit. Yeah. The, the complaint that pops up over and over again is that recruiters, especially like internal recruiters, talk about like the slowness of the process and how long it takes to kind of move people through the pipeline, mm-hmm. you know, kind of all that. And then, you know, what you were just talking about in terms of the 18 rounds of testing and things like that. I guess, I mean, the thing that I always wonder is what can potentially speed up the hiring process, but in a way that works out for the candidates and the recruiters and Mm. so on. And should it be sped up? Because, I mean, there's also part of the human element is like making sure everyone gets a fair shake and examining and things Mm -hmm. like should recruiting be moving faster or I mean, it's it's, I always think about this and I'm always conflicted about it. Because it's a huge topic, right? So, yeah, yeah. you know, in some ways you've got to make allowances. So I'm no expert on disabled uh, applicants, for example, but someone like Jane Hatton is. So you could read her book or you could look at the advice that she's got, which would help. You know, if it is you're not making allowances for people in interview, you know, then you can. But I think when it comes to speed, it's about setting expectations. Now, if they can stick a chip in your pizza and tell you that it's made and it's coming to you, do people eat those chips or are they in the box? Wherever. Anyway. They, Must be in the box. Yeah. I hope so. I hope Otherwise, so. people are going to so. be having a problem. I kind of thought that through halfway through my point, which is so it's bad. tracking people uh, everywhere because it's in their stomachs. You know? it's, it's in your stomach currently. But it's that if we can do that, why can't we do the same thing through the application process? And unfortunately, the applicant tracking systems aren't that sophisticated. They've always got humans using them. <laughs> so it, it's a case of, we need to get better at setting expectations. Look, we tend to recruit on a two-week time frame. This tends to be the process, you know, these kind of interviews. There's no reason we can't provide that transparency. Um, and there are certain examples, again, in the book where I, I show, like, it's like a chart, like a map. I've seen ones that are a bit like a tube map or a metro map that yeah. just show this is our process. If you're a software engineer, you're probably going to go this way. If you're this, you're going to go this way. This is, you know, and you, you know the journey. So that helps, again, it's about expectations. You know, I think about standing on the train station here in the UK and I can now see when the train's coming, where it is, what time I'm going to get to my destination, all this sort of stuff. Whereas you used to just stand there wondering if it would turn up. Now it's like, I know exactly where it is. I can open an app. Actually, I've just just moved and I am literally on the Thames. I mean, it's out the window. (laughs) It's that close, right? And it's very distracting because there's all these ships. Well, now I have a geeky ship map that will ship app. For the map, which yeah. I must apologize to everyone listening. Same it's thing, quite late digital. in the UK yeah. and the words yeah. are tumbling out. Anyway, I now open it and go, oh, wow, look at that. It's a dredging vessel. I didn't know they dredged the Thames. There you go. You know, and it's that go back to the it's curiosity. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't I do that with my candidates? Why can't I do that with my applicants? Why can't I provide them with that level of certainty? This is where they are and clarity. This is where they are in the process. But the other part to this is again, hiring managers being deluded about the marketplace. Now, if you're not doing a proper intake strategy session and you're not explaining to them, this is the market. These are the number of people I've approached. Actually, let's run some searches together. Who can you approach? Who can you, like, let's see the real-time results of us applying to, or us approaching people and them not coming back and, you know, just how few people there are in the marketplace. And then it it will start to speed them up. It's like, do you see now, now that we've sat together and we've run some searches and we've done some recruiting together, do you see how hard it is to get people to respond? Because recruiters don't do these intakes properly, hiring managers think these resumes just 
fall out of the sky. Obviously via dice. And then they just fall out of the sky, obviously. Um, But they just split out because everyone's out there applying. (laughs) It's like they're not. (laughs) You know, you're not doing intakes. You're not writing great job adverts and therefore people aren't applying or you're not doing great outreach and people are not applying. Like it all goes back. I always call it chapter five. It all goes back to chapter five. It goes back to that intake strategy session. Um, So there's that side as well. If you're not going to persuade the hiring managers that, oh, we need to move swiftly and we need to be, uh, more open. We need to be choosing the how can we skill someone up? Actually, can we push this person up and recruit the more junior role? Because that's actually easier to fill. That, you know, the recruiter needs to be more persuasive and um, pushing back, pushing back, more fearlessness. Are you optimistic in terms of the openness and things like the, the, the trend direction in general? I mean, do you think despite all the issues and the noise and everything else, that it's, that it's going in the right way? Or do you think there's just a lot of work oh. and it's you mean from the internet, the transparency? Yeah. <laughs> I actually had a really interesting, um, with Kogan Page, the publisher, bless them, we had quite an argument over the word transparency. And I was just like, it will stay as the noise and transparency created by the internet makes it harder to recruit the right people. And it was funny because there was just a misunderstanding about that word. But it's like when I had my first proper job, 1991, when some of the listeners weren't born yet, um, I... Um, the manager at the branch where I worked, I just fell into banking. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Anyway, he used to make the second in charge be sick at lunch. Like he, she was so stressed from his behavior Aww. that yeah. she was sick yeah. and we all stayed. There was no transparency. We couldn't go to the internet. We couldn't go to Dice. We couldn't type in X jobs location, enter, and see all of the jobs out there. We couldn't see Glassdoor reviews. We couldn't see Reddit comments. We couldn't see... You know, have you got reviews on Dice? I assume you do as well. We couldn't yeah, see yeah. all of the information out there that tells us how people at companies are behaving, how recruiters behave, like all of this stuff, how many jobs are out there. Now it's shifted. So I love that it's shifted. I also love that I'm getting to chit-chat to you from London via the internet <laughs> on a podcast about this yeah. because this didn't exist in 1991. I'm, I'm actually watching the newsreader at the moment, which is out of um, Australia, which is where I'm actually from. And uh, it's brilliant because it's set in 1986 and I'm just sitting there going, oh, this is my youth. Look at that car. Look at that tech. They have no mobiles. How on earth do we communicate? Like <laughs> old fashioned phones. Oh, it's just brilliant. But it's like we've come a long way and the technology has enabled that, but it has also gotten the way. So I love it. I think it is brilliant. It can be harnessed. It can be harnessed by job seekers to find opportunities they mightn't be able to find either, which is also really cool. Um, and it gives us such an opportunity if we use it well as a company, if we treat our candidates and our employees well, we'll have no problems hiring and retaining. So that was a long-winded answer. That was a perfect answer. <laughs> no, that was great. Thank you. Yeah. I get very impassioned about it. That's well, you should. I mean, it's it's I mean, like you said, these are people's lives. I mean, this yeah. is, you know, this is yeah. this is their existence, you know. And so I mean, every you know, hiring managers, recruiters, everybody, mm. I mean, like, you know, yeah. it's 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 the most vital, not the most vital thing, but it, it is, is one of the it, most vital things. Yeah, It is hard. I mean, it, it is hilarious, you know, technology. I'm, I'm watching, as I said, the newsreader and they call someone and someone answers the phone because the thing's ringing. It's annoying. So you answered it, right? <laughs> You're too young. You don't know what I'm talking about. But it, it was the old 70s phone. And it was like, oh my God, stop. Right. But people actually communicated more easily mm-hmm. because 
now these things can do everything. I've got one, two, three messages. <laughs> I've just picked up my phone and it's like, I'm just going to put it back down again and ignore it. And you think it's right. It's within reach of people, but they don't answer it because there's so much distraction by the phone. There's yeah, so many options. There's so many ways to get in touch with someone that they're overwhelmed. So again, it goes back to that proper intake, be really human, be really professional, and you'll stand out and you'll get someone's attention. So it's a different world. Is it good? I think it's good. I, I love it. It's, yeah. it's yeah, my, whole, it's... my whole work is all based because of the noise and transparency of the internet. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's overwhelming for folks. I think, I mean, everything seems so, it's funny because like it's, it's sort of the originator, ever, all the modern internet related stuff is sort of the originator of the problem having kind of created the noise. And now it seems like so much on the internet, and especially in terms of hiring and recruiting, is designed yeah. to winnow out the noise again. It's like, it's, it's like the big bang, it's blown up mm. and now it's the attempt to kind of shrink yeah. it back. So it's... <laughs> now we're like, everyone must get back into their offices so they can stick, sit there with their headsets on emailing each other across the office because they don't want to talk. The, the <laughs> Everyone's back work, to that. The remote work thing here has actually also created this complication in terms of like mm. salary negotiation. Like there's signs yeah. that the, the geography gap in terms of like what people are paid, whether they're in Kansas City or the Bay Area or wherever mm. they are, is, is shrinking down. And I mean, I'm sure for recruiters, that's another sort of complicated element in terms of all it this. It really like, is. And, I, remotely. and I think also the, the damage that, I'm sorry, listeners, technology firms have done by pricing people out of cities as well. Let's not forget there's been that problem. So, you know, I know of people earning six figures who have to live in their car in Seattle, for example, you know, that that genuinely happens because it's become so expensive. San Francisco, New York, breathtakingly expensive. I personally don't think London's that expensive, weirdly. Um, Maybe I'm biased, but it's, it's happened, right? And so people are moving, but why should they be paid less? You know, why? Because they go, I just can't afford to live here. I'm barely getting by. Why can't they move a state away and actually have, does they deserve that money? It's true. Yeah, they, they do. They deserve to yeah. lower their cost of living. Um, yeah. However, I understand it is extremely complicated. You, all your state's laws, all your tax laws, it's, yeah, phew. Glad I'm it's not complicated, <laughs> but on the other hand, people can they can do their jobs no matter where they are in the world. They can yeah. do their jobs from for most. I mean, there are those yeah. tech jobs where you have to be in like hardware related and things like that, yeah. you have to be in a lab or something like that. But most of them can just if you can do it from your laptop. Yeah, there's 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 no reason except you do get managers and and people who want they think that office culture hinges on everybody showing up and staying at their desks, and that makes yeah, it harder I- for recruiters to recruit because a lot of people don't want to do that. No. And, and again, goes back to the power of the people. Um, I do feel that people should come in sometimes. So I guess there needs to be a distance that you can travel to come in sometimes. I do yeah. think it's important. Um, I do a lot of workshops that have come over from the design thinking world, and it's all about improving candidate experience and the recruitment experience. And I have done them remotely and it's not the same. You do get much more creativity and much more bonding in person. But you could get someone to come in a couple of days a month. It doesn't have to be five days a week, presenteeism, sitting in traffic for hours on end. You know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And people are just saying no because, again, they can, they've got choice. They can see what jobs are out there. They can network. They can create their own opportunities. So yeah, it's tough. But I think, again, that goes back to, you know, a lot of leadership needing training. And also let's not forget how fast the world's trained, changed. You know, um, you might have noticed the women just won the football here in uh, the UK. And the year I was 
the year I was born was the 50 year anniversary of the fact it had been banned and they just uh, actually allowed them to play again. All in my lifetime, it's mind blowing. And, but you look at in 1959, when my mother got engaged to her first husband, she had to resign from the bank. Oh. Oof. Right? That, yeah. To some people that's like, oh, that's forever ago. To me, that's like my mother's lifetime. That yeah. to me is recent history. So for a lot of the Gen X and the perhaps the younger boomers, we've seen a lot of change and a lot of freedom and a lot of liberation, but we're still in the workforce. So for some of us, we're like, oh, this is great. And we really embrace it and throw it. And we're like, you know, I know so many Gen Xs that are like breaking down barriers and going, let's everyone be remote, who cares? And really loving it. But then there's some that are really resistant and really scared because we grew up in that 1991 first job. Oh my gosh, you know, scared you know, never leave a job without another one. Always do what the boss tells you. Put up with whatever it is. No, you couldn't possibly love what you do. You know, it's it's been a lot of change. So for the younger listener, do you remember that? You know, give them sometimes a little bit of a benefit of the doubt that perhaps they just it's been a lot of change in their life and they haven't really understood. Um, it takes time to internalize it, these things, yeah. Yeah, to guide them and, and influence them and show them and explain to them. Um, I think sometimes a bit more honesty in the workplace would be nice too. Yeah. I mean, that that's always, yeah, that's it. And that, you know, to the point, I mean, like this is all facets of being, you know, human and humanizing it, yeah. like, you know, kind of being truthful and transparent and everything else. Mm. So, I mean, hopefully things keep going in that direction. Yeah. I hope so. Hopefully emphasis on that. Oh, I was just gonna say, if I can just add, um, I do plug the robot proof recruiter rather heavily because I donated my royalties to an incredible charity called hope for justice. And their aim is to end modern day slavery. Oh, um, in fact, amazing. there were some goals in the U.S. just released. So they work in the U.S. as well as the rest of the world. Um, and firsthand, I have been to Africa and worked with their staff and carers to see what they're doing to stem the flow of children to into the streets and then into modern-day slavery. So that's why I plug it so heavily. So if you are a recruitment or talent acquisition leader listening, please don't buy just one. Buy for your whole team. Buy for the company. <laughs> That's where the royalties go. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great book. There are, actually, there were 74 contributors in the first one, which means there must be like, I don't know, 90 in this one. I really should sit down and add it up. It's not just my thinking. I've got lots of people from the industry to back up my thinking, lots of examples. It's very gritty. Oh, great. No, fantastic. Yeah, no, awesome cause, the best cause. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it, folks. I found this conversation with Katrina particularly fascinating because there's a lot of conversation and some controversy over the use of automation in recruiting. It's great to hear someone underline how, no matter what, the human element is ultimately what matters most when it comes to finding, recruiting, and retaining top talent. Here are some other key takeaways from our conversation. For recruiters, empathetic listening is key. Listen and understand a candidate's wants, desires, and abilities. This empathetic listening also extends to companies. Recruiters should ask hiring managers, company executives, and whoever else is doing the hiring about the company's mission and goals. Once a recruiter understands those, they can more effectively engage with the right candidates. Companies should focus on retaining and upskilling their people. In the end, that will be more time and cost effective than going out onto the market for talent, especially in a market where tech unemployment is notably low. Workers also really want training and education. They'll have more affinity for a company that offers them the opportunities to boost their skills. And last but certainly not least, be human, be professional, and you'll stand out and get the right candidate's attention. And that's it for this episode. We'll see you next time. And remember, 
DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles and for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career. 